Just a couple months ago, I interviewed 10 people who got hired after the big tech layoffs. There was only like one or two things that they all had in common. They just had that attitude of like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to get in. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast, where I interview recently hired developers as well as senior managers and hiring experts to help you learn to code and land your first role in tech. Today, my guest is Luke Hovey. After serving in the US Army, Luke didn't know what to do next. He was at a career crossroads, and this came with a lot of complex feelings about what to pursue and how to specifically go about doing it. That's around the time he discovered a coding bootcamp specifically for army veterans, and even though it would be nice to say that he took to it like a duck to water, Luke definitely had some challenges learning to code and sometimes felt behind as he saw other members of his cohorts move on and get hired. But Luke had grit and dedication, and he'd honed in on his purpose. For Luke, coding wasn't just a skill, it was the key to the next chapter in his life. Through perseverance and the help of others, Luke got his first job in tech some years ago now. Today, he pays it forward on LinkedIn, where he shares advice to help aspiring juniors get into software, and he also arranges a mentorship program, which you'll hear more about towards the end of the episode. In our conversation today, we talk about Luke's experience in the army and how the chain of command in the army compares to reporting to a product manager. Luke also shares his advice about if you should quit your job to focus on learning to code. He also explains the state of the job market for juniors as he sees it, plus his best advice on how to stand out in a competitive field. This episode is for anyone on the path learning to code, looking for an inspirational story, yes, who wants to unlock the same grit as Luke by following practical and proven advice. You are listening to the Scrimba podcast with me, your host, Alex Booker. Let's get into it. Software was not my radar at all. I've told other people like going to space as an astronaut and being in software were kind of like two of the same unattainable, like that's where it lay in my mind, just not an option. Um, but so I was in the army and uh, did that for four years, got out uh, and didn't know what I was going to do in the civilian world. I thought construction probably because uh, I had kind of done that in school and then in the army and it didn't work out. Didn't get into construction, uh, got a job doing something that I hated uh, and I wasn't very good at it. Tried hard, but then ultimately got fired from that job just because I wasn't doing really good. And so, you know, I'm in a tailspin, what do I do with my life? Lots of questions, some depression. <laughs> And then uh, found a guy at a veteran career fair who was training veterans in software. Oh, no way. Yeah. And it was like a boot camp. It was self-paced, self-taught, all online. And uh, he actually paid people some money to go through the program. So it was like 500 hours. And if you completed all five levels, you got like $1,500 or something like that. Um, so I was like, well, you know, I can hardly say no to, you know, the first level was like 20 hours and then it paid like uh, 200 bucks or something. So like, how could I say no to that as an option? 
And so I started doing the training while I kept looking for work. And then as I got through, you know, that first level and then some of the second, I was like, this is attainable. Like I can learn this stuff. And I, it kind of made it an actual possibility in my mind. And so then I was like, well, you know, maybe this is my plan A. Was it front-end development you were learning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was CSS, HTML, JavaScript. And then I think we got into Node a little bit. Wow. From the army to coding, that's uh, quite a transition. Do you mind if I ask how old were you when you enrolled in the army and what made you want to go down that path in the first place? So I did college, like a four-year degree. While I was in college, I joined the National Guard as part of an ROTC program. Um, so I was probably like 20, maybe maybe 19 when I joined. And then when I was like in the active duty army, I was like 21, I think. Which is kind of around the same age. A lot of people are figuring out what they want to do with their life and what they're going to study in university and things like that. It's hard to like design and architect your whole life at the beginning. You sort of have to choose from the options presented to you. Yeah. You know, we think we plan our lives, but really we're not in control of uh, the things that happen as much as we think. I guess with the army, I don't know much about it and especially not in America. But is it the kind of thing you go into with the aspiration of making it your life's work and like a long term career? Or is it the fact that many people start in the army, but then probably switch to something else after a period? You can go either way with it. I think people go into it with different mindsets. A lot of people who did what I did go through school are doing it to get school paid for. And so that was part of the reason I did it was like, hey, they're going to pay for my school. I'll graduate with no debt do some time in the army, which should be interesting. And then, you know, I'll do my obligation, which was eight years. So four active, four reserve, and then I'll decide if I like it. And so I actually thought I was probably going to do it for 20 years and then retire because I was enjoying it. I really liked working with the people and the work was interesting. And, you know, they pay you to work out in the morning, which I really liked. And then I met my wife and that that wasn't going to work too well. She was not going to enjoy following me around the country every three years. That's why I got out. But yeah, you can go either way with it. Well, it's like you say, you think you have a plan, but then you meet a girl or (laughs) you want to do a different job or something. And it's amazing you stumbled upon the opportunity to learn to code. Did you feel optimistic that you would take to it? Because a lot of people, especially if they haven't done computer subjects in school, they find it a little bit daunting. Yeah, so it was uh, very challenging. And, you know, I, I describe myself as not a very technical person. And I still do today. Like my wife can use a computer better than I can. Like, like, you know, lock myself out of something like my wife's gonna probably help me i hope this isn't how you start your technical job interviews Uh, no i I normally don't bring that up (laughs) if i did i think they they'd know what i was talking about probably but yeah so it was it was extremely challenging your brain has to rewire i'd gone through school and i'd done some learning but then when it comes to software i had to learn how to learn it's weird to me that you know going through school and training in the army that sort of stuff like didn't do that for me it was like this was it it felt like the very first time I was learning something right 
and like Googling is a skill. Like there's just so many things that I didn't have that I needed to, you know, work on in order to learn to code. And it went very slowly and it was very frustrating. But, you know, then when things would click or work, uh, then it was super rewarding. It's kind of like uh, working out, chasing endorphins. Like, I think it's kind of like that. Like you're kind of chasing that feeling a little bit sometimes when you're coding. It's like a kind of natural high in a way. The frill when you solve a problem you've been wrestling with for a while. Once you finished the boot camp, I suppose, did you feel like there was more learning to do or did you feel totally ready to start applying for jobs? The boot camp was 500 hours, right? Or that's how long they thought it was supposed to last. I did 650 hours and I never finished it. Like the final project was just beyond me. I couldn't do it. And I got help from friends, like people to, you know, talk me through like, okay, this is what you should do. And I'd just be like, I have no idea. So I felt very not ready, but I wanted to get into software. So I didn't let the fact that I didn't feel ready stop me from interviewing. So the boot camp I went through lined up interviews for me. So I didn't have to do any of that myself, uh, which was amazing. When they started feeding me interviews before I was done with the program, I was surprised, but I definitely welcomed it. <laughs> I think it showed through that I didn't know what I was doing in those interviews because I did like five or six and each time you know i get the same feedback of like hey he just doesn't have enough experience which is you know a very common thing to happen for people trying to break into software like yeah that's the problem we don't have enough experience but when i did get an offer it was i think them just giving me a chance like they could see I really was hungry, you know, willing to do the work and learn. And I proved I had learned some things. And so I, I think that's why I got an offer eventually. Can you talk a little bit about that drive and motivation? Because I think as you describe it, it sounds like a very maybe frustrating situation when you know that you have this many hours and you've gone over them and maybe just through no fault of your own, it's just human nature. You might be comparing yourself with others. And of course, at the same time, you're doing these job interviews and you're not quite where you want to be. What was your mindset and how did you stay motivated? I don't think motivation played into it too much. I think it was more like desperation, anxiety. <laughs> I knew like, I want this to happen so bad because I had no career. The army had been great, but you know, I couldn't go back there and you know, I had nowhere to go or anything to do in the civilian world other than like labor jobs, right? Which I was doing part-time. Like I just, I wanted it so bad. You know, it was, it was discouraging and uh, that <laughs> probably made me not interview very well because I would go into those with just like anxiety and stress and pressure up to here. But, you know, it worked out. I can relate to this a little bit. Like my story very briefly is that as a teenager, I didn't do very good at school. All my friends had gone to uni and I put a lot of my time and energy into learning to code. I'd actually put all my eggs into one basket. And the whole time I was teaching myself and definitely struggling along the way, I saw my old friends being successful. I saw job opportunities pop up but I didn't feel confident to pursue them and every day I guess I would wake up feeling a bit anxious and that drove me to try and make a change and to, to really push through and, and, and do this so I'm in two minds about whether I should give myself credit for like the discipline showing up every day or if I was just kind of anxious and letting that drive me. I tell people this sometimes when I'm talking to them about like the decision to pursue software right so people are thinking about software and they want to get coffee or you know have a zoom or something and we talk about it I think one thing that will keep you from getting into software is if you have a decent enough life without it, right? 
if you like hate your life and you know software is the only option you see then I, I think you have a much better shot of getting in when you're doing something uncomfortable like learning a whole scale breaking into a whole new industry and you still have the safety net of something comfortable to go back to yeah it's got to be pretty alluring at times i talk to a, a fair amount of people who have quit their jobs right and are living on some sort of nest egg that they've built up or you know with their parents or something and you know they have a certain amount of runway before they need to get into software i don't think that's a great idea <laughs> even though a lot of people do it i think ideally like you get a part-time job that can pay your bills and you like lower your expenses like you know bare bones as low as you can get them and you get a part-time job that you hate so that you still have the motivation, but you're not going to run out the runway and then be homeless. The thing you think about when you're doing something you don't want to do, that's normally the thing you should be doing, right? I think I can remember being on the job site because I got like a construction laborer job just thinking about code because, you know, you're doing something mindless and you're like, man, last night I was working on that thing and it like, oh, I could try this. Were there any skills that you gained in the army that helped you in software development? Probably not coding itself, right? But maybe there were soft skills or other things that translated in unexpected ways. I think one thing that's made me decently successful in software has been my ability to like join a team and then be in that team and do well in that team. You know, like I'm a good follower, which is a skill, I think. But then I also in processes, like understanding processes and like seeing the value in those. So like I integrate into the agile method really well. And so when work is being planned, like I have good insights that I can share and I, I know when to edit myself and when to like make a point about something like we could do this better. So yeah, I, I think it's all soft skill stuff, but I, I do think it's helped. Is my perception of the army at all correct? Very well could not be because it's based on movies, which are often not accurate. But I understand that like the chain of command is really important and also respecting the processes because people have to depend on the step before them in order to do the step they have to do. And if one link in the chain isn't right, that can cause a big problem. So the chain of command thing, yeah, in the army, it's kind of like the Bible. Like if you disrespect somebody with more authority than you, then it gets bad real quick. I think I, that has helped in that like product owner, for instance, I consider them my boss and I try to help them understand so they make well-informed decisions so that they give me priorities that make sense. Yeah. I guess um, the chain of command in a tech company talking to a PM, for example, it probably seems a bit like child's play compared to the army. At least hopefully it's not as stressful. Yeah. Well, being in software is always low stress until production is down and then it's high stress. Oh, it's all production. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and God forbid on a Friday as a result of a uh, last minute deployment. Coming up, why getting your second developer job is easier than getting your first. You know, it was only four and a half months of experience, but it helped me get that next job. I'll be right back with Luke in just a moment. But first, Jan, the producer, and I had a quick favor to ask from you. Hello. If you're enjoying the show and if you would like to support us so that we can keep making it, the best thing you can do is share it with someone, be it in person or on social media. If you do it on social media, you can also get a shout out on the show. Our longtime listener, Vanessa, who was also a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago, shared our last week's episode titled Listen to This if you're working on your LinkedIn profile file 
on her LinkedIn and wrote, The Scrimba podcast delivers another episode at the right time. This past week, I wrote about how I shared tips on how to improve your LinkedIn profile at the Women Who Code San Francisco Hack Night. Now you get to hear where I got some of the tips. And then Vanessa shared timestamps for her favorite tips in the last week's Scrimba episode. And they are how to reverse engineer what recruiters are searching for, how to make the LinkedIn algorithm work for you, why you should consider writing your LinkedIn bio in third person, and what to do if you don't want to make content on LinkedIn. Give it a listen. You'll see why I love the Scramba podcast and where I got my resources and tips. Thanks for sharing, Vanessa. Over on Twitter, Trey Fleming has been sharing his progress through 100 days of code. One particular tweet says, I've been doing a course on Scramba for the past few days and I really like it. I listen to their podcast pretty frequently and I wanted to try it. So far, it's really good and I like how they start you off building things. Awesome, Trey. Great to hear you like the podcast and I think you'll like the courses as well. And to wrap this up, let's read a review from Apple Podcasts. The title says, This podcast should be a requirement for your coding journey. I started learning to code in January of 2023 and have been listening to the Scrimba podcast since March. It's my absolute favorite coding podcast, and I found a handful that I like. The information Alex and his guests provide is priceless and truly inspiring. Alex asks great questions and always has excellent commentary. As a mom with a full-time job, this podcast podcast keeps me motivated to continue my coding journey. I almost always end each podcast with a few bullet points to research. And of course, the podcast turned me on to the Scrimba front-end career path, so I'm working on that now as well. Thanks so much, Alex and Jan. Signed, Rox Learns Code. Oh, Rox Learns Code. I know you from Twitter. How's it going? Do you think you're going to be a guest on the podcast anytime soon? If you'd like to join the conversation and get a chance to get a shout out on the show, the only thing you need to do is to post about the podcast on LinkedIn or Twitter. If your post contains the words Scrimba Podcast, we will find it and read it. And if you're feeling super supportive, you could also leave us a rating or a review in your podcast app of choice. But for now, we're going back to the interview with Luke. So how did you get your first role in tech? It sounds like through the bootcamp, you did these interviews, not everyone panned out. Was it the case then that this company took a chance on you and you, you started working as a, a full-time developer right away? Yeah, so it was a privately owned, very small company. I guess you call it a startup. And you know they were interviewing for a junior developer role, right? And so I interviewed, they looked at my projects, they had me do some coding challenges like FizzBuzz. I made it through that one. And then the second one was this piece of code is broken, try to fix it. And I didn't make it through that one. Um, but so I, I did all right. I didn't do great and I didn't do terrible. I didn't like fall on my face. Um, but I think probably I was not at the level that they wanted. But then as we were closing the interview, I said, like, this is it. This is the one I want. Like, if you guys make an offer, I will accept. Um, and I did that because, one, I was desperate. And two, I just had a feeling going in there that, like, it, it felt good. And, you know, the people weren't overly nice or anything. I just, like, the building was, like, glass and steel and wood and stuff. Like, I liked the architecture. I liked that it was down town. I don't know. I just got a feel from being in there that like, I like this place. You could see yourself working there for sure. Yeah. And so it, it really was a great place to work. Like I loved it. 
I don't know that I was optimistic about getting the job or confident that I could. Closing like that with the interview was not something I'd ever done before, but I wanted to give myself like the best opportunity to get that job. We had just had our first kid too. And so it was, it was high stress. I wanted to get into software really bad. You know, it's just being vulnerable, taking a chance. I think a lot of the time when companies are extending offers, there's a lot of factors that go into it. And obviously like your technical proficiency is one of them. And that's a non-negotiable for more senior roles, obviously. But I think when you're a junior, something that can make a really big difference is if you know what you want. Like a lot of candidates, they're kind of just testing the field. They're not 100% sure what kind of company they can see themselves working at or what their particular goals are. But if you can clearly articulate that this is something that uh, you want to do and that you would be keen to accept their offer, I think it can't do any harm, really. It just shows that you know what you want and that you like the vibe. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like the the law of attraction at play a little bit. Like you're vulnerable in putting your message out there, but clearly they reciprocated as they uh, extended you an offer. I think what a lot of people lack is just attitude, right? So like um, feeling like they have something to give. I think when you go into interviews, doubting yourself and not being able to communicate your value and you know, you're just nervous, like all those things make sense, but it doesn't leave a really good impression or make people want to buy, you know? Um, so I think if you can communicate your value, you know, even if you have imposter syndrome or whatever, like if you can know about yourself, like, Hey, if you give me a shot, I'm going to outwork all the people in here from day one. Like you can have confidence in your ability to do that. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, attitude does keep a lot of people from getting the job. I like that a lot, man. You should be confident in the value you can bring to the table, even if you're newer. It could be those soft skills. It could be that you're just a very dependable person to work within the team. And yeah, it's like a great positive attitude. People want to work with people they like and who are positive. And that's very important in the junior. Yeah, people hire people and people want to work with people they like. How did you get on in the role then? So it was still pretty high stress, high anxiety because I felt very much and not that this was the way the company was framing it to me, but I felt like if I don't do well in the first three months, then I'm not going to be retained. And it, it was kind of like, uh, I don't think they called it an apprenticeship, but it was very much a trial period. Yeah, like probation period or something. Yeah, I was making like $10 an hour or something, you know, not a full-time employee, whereas everybody else was a full-time employee. And so maybe they were framing it as like, uh, hey, you either do it or you don't. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of gaps, like media queries, for instance. I was a front-end developer. I didn't know what a media query was when I went there. And so I, I learned a lot of stuff very quickly because I had a lot of gaps. But at the end of three months, the owner brought me in his office and said, like, you know, we're happy with the work you're doing. We see the growth and, you know, you can be a full time employee. But they started paying me like beans. <laughs> like they, I think the the starting amount was like 30,000. And he was like, this is what I can afford to give you now. And then in a couple months, I'll, I'll bump it to 40, uh, which was more in line with what I was hoping. It was like, cool, great. And then like a month and a half later, I got laid off with five other people. You know, it was a small company, cash flow issues. And so, you know, I was 
the most junior developers, so it made sense. You know, it was crushing, but it was enough to get my foot in the door. You know, it was only four and a half months of experience, but it helped me get that next job. Is it true what they say that getting your first ever role in tech is very, very, very hard, but then getting your second role in tech is like just hard? <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah, something about like having a bit of a track record and yeah, if someone else has taken a chance on you and you've been successful, it kind of makes you less of a risk or something. When you're a fresh hire, you know, your first job in software, they're losing money on you for at least the first three months, right? If the next company can hire you after three months, you know, then they don't have to lose that money on you. Like you can start earning them money a lot faster. And so, yeah, I think getting the second job in software is is easier for sure. All right, Luke, I'm super excited to learn a bit more about how you are now helping other junior developers break into tech. But what do you say to break the interview up a little bit, we do a round of quick fire questions. I said, let's do it. That sounds great. <laughs> what was one learning resource that has been the most impactful in your journey learning to code? Freecodecamp.org. Oh, hell yeah. That was like 90% of the uh, curriculum I went through when I was going through that boot camp. It's great. I love it. Like when you finish a challenge, it like pops up a modal and it's like Thundercats Ho and like little <laughs> sparkles go off. And I loved it. It was great. Yeah, we love Free Code Camp at Scrimber. And Quincy Larson's been on the podcast in the past as well. And he was a fantastic sport. I'm a big fan. What technology do you use at the moment that you're really enjoying? Vue.js has always, for a long time, has been the language that I enjoy the most. And that's what I'm using right now. And I'm, I like it. Is there a technology on your radar that you'd like to learn next? Python. It's been top on my list for like three years now, so I'm just never going to learn it, but I want to learn it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard like fragmenting between front end and back end. I, I get that totally. What kind of music do you like to code to? Or maybe you like to code in silence? Emo. Emo music? Yes, I love emo. Are we talking like Slipknot and Paramore and that kind of thing? Or is it... Yeah, Hawthorne Heights, Blink-182, like all the stuff from high school that I just can't let go. Like that's my jam. I love that stuff. Such a good genre or like era of music. I've not thought about coding to it though, so I might give that a go. Listen to it way too loud. That's the only way. Do you look up to or follow anyone in the tech community that maybe we should know about? Danny Thompson on LinkedIn is my favorite. Yeah, we love Danny as well. Yeah, his energy is just fantastic. I just today found a guy. I started following him because it was very interesting stuff. David Roberts. He's like a career coach for helping people get into software. And I watched a YouTube video of his that somebody shared and it was just very insightful. We'll link everybody you mentioned and uh, Free Code Camp in the show notes for people to check out if they're interested. Last question for you, Luke. I know you've been a full-time dev since around 2016. Are there any trends you've seen come and go so far? I was talking with somebody else about this not too long ago, but it feels like Web 3's kind of gone, right? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but it was huge when I was here. And I've, you know, I've had people tell me that it's not dead, it's still there. Maybe that's true. Yeah, I think Web3 was probably a bit conflicting for new developers because there was a lot of opportunity there and it's tempting to go down that path and get a quick win. But in the long term, focusing on the craft, I think, is a is a better thing to do. Luke, thank you so much for playing along with these uh, quick fire questions. That was a good round. 
All right, man. So maybe we can talk a little bit about the stuff you're doing on LinkedIn, because I know that you've been very keen, basically, to pay it forward in helping other new developers. Is it fair to say LinkedIn is like your main platform and that's where you're creating the most content and getting in touch with new developers? What sort of took you there and how are things going? Yes, LinkedIn is the platform I use. Yeah, I wanted to give back for a long time. And so I would get coffee with people was my way of giving back, like if they were thinking about getting into software. I would do that pretty regularly, maybe once every couple months. But I felt like I wanted to give back more, right? Like, so instead of just the time I could do with people one-on-one, you know, kind of like industrialize it, how can I help more people? I was working a job last year, I think it was 2022, and they started a program where they were like, they wanted their employees to be very active on LinkedIn, to drive traffic to their page, and to be seen as hiring, um, you know, industry experts, right? And so they were going to pay people in the company, employees, 250 bucks if they posted every day for a month. And so I did that, uh, made the 250 bucks. And then... It's a cool initiative. Yeah, it was very cool. But then they kind of created a beast because then I was just on LinkedIn every day. Instead of doing your actual job. <laughs> yeah, I can't stop. How do you decide what to like post on the platform? I see you've got about 9K followers now, which is like really impressive. Sometimes it's like shower thoughts kind of things. Like I'm thinking about it and like, you know, I'll have a realization or, you know, an idea. And then I'll be like, okay, I'm going to save that for LinkedIn and I'll post it the next day. Right. And then sometimes I just sit in front of LinkedIn and like wait for a thought to come. Like, oh, you know, what, what could I post about? And so I have seen people say, I don't like posting every day on LinkedIn because then I feel like I'm repeating myself or, you know, I say things that I weren't saying. And I think I can say honestly that I don't feel that way whenever I post. Like I never feel like I'm saying that thing or repeating myself. Sometimes I'm talking about, you know, something I've talked about before, but I, I almost never feel like I'm repeating myself uh, or saying something not worth saying. Do you ever like have a coffee chat with someone and like maybe see that they're having a particular problem and then maybe you've got a great answer for them, but per what you said about helping people at scale, maybe that leads to like a great LinkedIn post or like, yeah, you give a really nice answer to something. Uh, you're like, oh yeah, that's a good thought. Maybe I should share that on LinkedIn and then <laughs> you can go and post it on the platform to help another new developer. Yeah, that that actually happens a lot too. As long as I think the person's okay with it, a lot of times I'll say like this post was inspired by a conversation with this person and tag them. And it looks like you're launching a sort of apprenticeship program. I don't know much about it. So I was hoping you could tell us all what it's about and what inspired you to do it. It's very much a work in progress. Last month is when I think I got the idea. But the reason I did it was because, you know, it's tough to get into software right now. Like it's tough out there. And so getting your first job in software is harder this year right now than it was 18 months ago. Like a year ago is when it started, you know, tightening up things started, you know, big tech layoffs, that sort of stuff. But now it's just tough, right? So that's reality. I want to help people get into software. And then also I had this LinkedIn following that I didn't know how to monetize. And I have a lot of feelings around charging people that I'm helping get in this offer, right? Like I got help for free. I want to give help for free. You know, those things were rolling around in my mind 
And I was like, what could I do? And so the idea I came up with was this apprenticeship program where I don't train people. I'm just creating a community where people can train with some direction, you know, from me, but they train themselves in small teams and they have a support network, a community. It keeps them from quitting and it helps them have some direction with their growth, right? And then eventually the idea is to monetize by charging companies a subscription to view the apprentices, right? So if they want to hire apprentices, they pay a subscription, then they get a refined list of candidates to choose from. And so that piece, I think, is a long way down the road. But then, you know, if that ball gets rolling, it provides monetization, but then also, you know, provides a lot more value to the people in the program. So that's that's the dream. That sounds awesome, man. How does it work exactly? Say you're a new developer or someone learning and you sign up to this program. Is it like an application or do you get like a guaranteed place? And what kind of things do you work on? Like are the projects determined already? Or is it more that as a group of uh, people, as a group of aspiring developers that are now connected through the community, you can kind of work together on something if you have an idea? I was going down the road of um, having an application process. And so I was going to like build something that then people would apply to. And then students who are already in the program would go interview them and then give me like a yes or no, like let them in the program don't. But something I'm trying right now is instead of all that, avoiding all that work and just making it, if you get a pull request merged into one of the software apprenticeships, open source projects, then you get invited to join the program. Well, there you have it. I was asking in part in case somebody listening wants to like come and check it out. Uh, We'll link it in the show notes and now people know that's how you get started. And by the way, you call them apprenticeships and I'm sure that's deliberate. How are they different from like internships, for example? So companies do apprenticeship programs too, right? And internship programs. When I think of an internship program, I think it's at a company, right? So it can either be paid or unpaid, but you're like working for a company and then they decide if they want to hire you or it's a summer internship and it's understood you're not going to get hired, right? Um, whereas this, like obviously not associated with the company, it's just like the apprenticeship by itself. And, you know, the idea is to grow, right? Instead of with the goal being getting hired. Obviously, that's the, the point of the apprenticeship program is to try to get you hired. But uh, I like the word apprenticeship because, you know, back in medieval times, say there were like apprenticeships for armorers and other artisanal type things like bakers or something. It speaks a little bit to the craft, you know? If you're an apprentice software developer, it speaks a volume, I think, to the fact that you're treating it like a craft. And what I was trying to find is like, I'm sure there is a way of describing the progression. Like, don't you go from like an apprentice to like a journeyman to an expert to a craftsman or something? I think that's an interesting way of framing it as you describe it, because it's less about being tied to a job and it's more about your individual journey and the progression you make. I like that. I looked into carpentry trade school and I think they had that same sort of thing, right? So I've just been saying like level one, level two, level three right now inside the program, but I think I'm going to change that. That'd be cool. And if you saw it to do with uh, carpentry and stuff, it'd be like a nice homage to the, the kind of like career in construction and physical things you were looking at before as well. I did want to circle back to just one thing, really. When you said that the job market has been tough in recent months, maybe up to the last year and a half, and you touched on the fact that it's uh, correlated a little bit with uh, the layoffs in tech, and that certainly caused a ripple uh, through the industry. 
I just wanted to hear based on like the coffees you've been having with people and the conversations you've been having in your community and on LinkedIn. Are there any sort of like anecdotal things about the job market that make you think it's uh, tougher now than it was before? Why I think the market is real tough right now is um, I had been talking to my target audience, which is people trying to get into software for some time. And I, I just noticed conversations like, you know, change around that time. And it started to become apparent that like it's getting harder. And then you start to see a lot more people in that boat, right, of having graduated a boot camp or have taught themselves for a you know comparable amount of time and are struggling to find that first job. Um, and so that pool of people, I think, uh, has bloomed. Another couple pieces of evidence for me thinking the job market's got tougher is uh, recruiters I've talked to have said like, yeah, companies have stopped using us because, you know, like they're not hiring. It's just been confirmed to me by several of those kinds of avenues that, yeah, the, the market's tough. Yeah, I think that's a good point about recruiters, because if you think it's tough to like get a job as a developer, it's also quite tough to get a job as a recruiter lately. Or so I hear just because hiring slowed down. And I guess you can like put one-on-one -on -one together in that sense. It's an interesting perspective. In a tough job market, there is still the possibility of success. And I do see people getting hired every week. Like there are great opportunities out there, but it's obviously important you do what you can to maximize your chance of success. I was wondering, Luke, if you've seen people doing anything in particular that's helping them improve Improve their chances of getting hired. Just a couple months ago, I interviewed 10 people who got hired after the big tech layoffs, right? And I think all the people I hired, I interviewed actually got jobs in 2023. So I, when I was putting out like the call, like, hey, I want to interview people who got hired after the big tech layoffs, I was saying November of 2022, because that's when the meta and uh, Twitter layoffs happened. I think those two were both in November or October, maybe. There's a bit of a slaughter around then. I think it was a few companies. Yeah. But so that's when I was like, okay, anything after this is after the big tech layoffs, right? And when the market was tough. So I interviewed those 10 people. And um, what I got out of those interviews, well, there was only like one or two things that they all had in common. They just had the, that attitude, right? Of like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to get in. Honestly, like it sounds disappointing for that to be my answer, but like I do think that that is the determining factor on if you make it into software or not, is if you're going to let yourself give up or not. Is that a innate attribute or is it something that can be harnessed? That's a great question. Don't know. <laughs> That's a good answer. What do you think, Alex? I think that it can be harnessed if you have a strong enough reason why. So say you get into coding and your only motivation is salary, or maybe you think it's prestigious because it is a prestigious job, or maybe you're following a trend or a crowd and you think that because someone you know did it, you should do it. Or maybe you're just not clear on your motivation. Maybe you like computers and you think therefore coding would be good, but it's actually not coding you like, but design or something. Like if your intrinsic motivation is a bit short term, I don't think the candle's going to burn long enough for you to be successful and to withstand the pressure of a challenging situation where maybe you're going to face rejection. But if you have a very strong, pure, intrinsic motivation, I think that can burn longer. And that flame is more resilient to, to challenges, I think. It will burn for longer. 
So for example, if you can really answer your reason datra, your reason why you want to make this change, maybe you're making a change for your family. Maybe you really kind of identify with this idea that you only have one life and it's yours to waste. And if you can somehow find a career that lets you work remotely, that pays well, well, that can help you in every other area of your life as you get to travel the world or achieve financial freedom. I think another really great motivation and a great attribute I see among successful developers is that they genuinely really like problem solving. Like they actually like coding. Like that feeling we were speaking about at the beginning, Luke, where you get genuine endorphins and joy from it. If that's the kind of person you are and you really identify with solving these problems, yeah, the idea of getting paid to do the thing you'd love to do anyway, I think that's also a thing that can make you very resilient. So I think it's about harnessing it in a way because like I, with the benefit of hindsight and many years can articulate my motivation and why I like coding, why I like this industry. But when I was getting started, I was just kind of stumbling along. Like I definitely didn't have that clarity. So I think for anybody struggling uh, or looking to harness that attitude, it's really a case of like reflecting and figuring out the reasons why you started and why you're going to keep going. Uh, and if you can do that, I think you'll be much more likely to have that great can-do positive attitude and yeah, some people just need a little bit of help bringing that to the surface because what you think, how you feel, your opinions and things like that and your attitude and your values, a lot of people might have them, but they don't present them very well. So I think a great low hanging fruit and a huge way you can have impact in interviews is by like getting a bit of clarity about the things that you have and you genuinely have that the interviewer wants to see and like presenting those in a true and enthusiastic way. Um, so when I think about harnessing it, I think about those things, you know, sort of like really tuning in to what motivates you, what you want to surface and like practicing and feeling confident presenting those things during interviews. Well said. Everything you said rang true for me. I get really excited talking about these things and it's been a lot of fun talking with you today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Luke Hovey, thank you so much for joining me on the Scrimber podcast. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Glad to be here, man. Appreciate you. That was the Scramble Podcast. Can you believe this is the episode number 132? That basically means if you're just discovering the show, there's a lot of good things in our back catalog for you to listen to while you're waiting for the next episode. This is a weekly show, so subscribe. There's going to be a new episode in your feed every Tuesday. Check out the show notes if you would like to connect with Luke or if you'd like to find Alex and me on Twitter. I've been Jan the Producer and we'll be back with you next week.